The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. You opened a doorway between podcasts, and we don't know who or what will walk through it. Dun dun dun, Nathaniel, who is that mystery voice? Why, that is Mark. Hello. Hi, uh, this is kind of a special, special episode for me. I'm probably going to be ooey-gooey and romantic. Gross. (laughs) Everyone, we have a very special guest today. Um, My boyfriend, my partner, my amigo in crime, Mr. Mark Petterson. Hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on here. I'm excited. Uh, It's a very special episode, too, at least for Mark and I. Um, Today is the first day of Pride. And as a podcaster, I feel very honored. And again, all of those ooey gooey romantic feelings are all welling up inside as I get to have my partner on the show. Uh, it's kind of a, a nerdy little spooktastic way to celebrate Pride. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. And happy Pride to everyone here and everybody listening. To, to kick things off, um, let's, let's hear a little bit about you and your, you know, uh, experience with the horror genre. And, and then we'll, we'll also talk about your bona fides for also why, why we're here, because we're not just talking about only horror stuff. We're, we're blurring the line a little bit again with getting into the world of comic books. Very out of brand for us, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, how did you get into horror? Uh, when we first started dating, this was like a prerequisite for me. Um, my my partner needed to be a horror fan, and you check that box. So how did it start? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I was I've been thinking about it because as far as you know, as young as I can recall, I've always been interested in horror. But this very specific moment that I remember is my mom took me to Toys R Us one night. And I, we didn't buy anything. It was just to look, just for fun. And then I come home and I go downstairs and my older siblings are watching Child's Play. And I just like laid on the ground behind the couch, like poking my head out, watching it and loving it, but being terrified of it at the same time. <laughs> I don't remember how old I was, but that was my first experience that I can recall. And did you continue watching horror as you grew up? Was it kind of an off and on watch when you could? Or did you actively seek it out? I love horror i actually my younger brother who listens to this podcast i'll give it a shout out to steven he he and i were very close in age and we we love to watch horror together sometimes like bloody slasher horror kind of stuff like the strangers or scream things like that i i love it all growing up here and there i i do my best to watch it but you know being a younger kid tried to do my best not to watch r-rated 
horror, but, you know, now that's off the table. Did you ever feel like you had to hide watching horror? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Growing up, it was definitely something shouldn't be watching, like, in a good good family household. We definitely don't want the, like little kids watching things that, like, are inappropriate for them in horror. Just feels like that automatically comes into that, you know, in that box. Unfortunately, a lot of people, like, feel like misunderstand or miscategorize horror into just, like, very inappropriate or very demon devilish which, you know, it can be, but I don't think it, it makes somebody bad to do. Yeah, because I know, Nathaniel, you kind of had to keep it under wraps as well for a long time. But... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had my horror video games hidden like some people hide smut magazines. So then, would you say Child's Play is your favorite horror movie, or has a new one blossomed over the years? You know what? I honestly, thinking back just to those classic moments as a kid, like being terrified of it, that will never um, leave my favorite, like all-time favorite horror movie. I watched it recently on Netflix. I'm like, man, this this stands the test of time. I love Child's Play. The first one especially is just so good. I love it. And then as far as scariest horror movie goes... What would you have to say? Because it can't be Child's Play. No, no, for sure. Well, it's actually, not. real quick, before we move away from Child's Play, just just one fun little thing I wanted to point out that, you know, Child's Play is uh, very famously, you know, uh, created by uh, one of the kind of more uh, early, you know, openly queer horror mm-hmm. creators. So, uh, you know, another another thing to, to highlight, especially today. Yeah. Mark, that's why that's, that's why point. you're gay. There Probably. we go. That's we, it. That's we it. solved it. We <laughs> solved it. He's figured it out. <laughs> uh, too good. <laughs> How about scariest though? What would you say? I can't think of one that like scares me more than um, Strangers. That movie just gets me every time I watch it. It's just the the terror of being at home alone and having people like entering your house without you knowing it. That's on my top list of like most terrifying things that I could ever experience and seeing that on strangers it just oh, it makes me shiver just thinking about it <laughs> yeah we watched that together actually and there's that scene where is it Liv Tyler I think mm-hmm. um, it's just doing her thing and then the camera just like subtly shows one of the intruders just in the background and just thinking of that image gives me the creeps and makes me want to go through all my rooms in my house Try not to think about it too much, because sometimes at night, even like when I'm like getting into bed, I'm thinking like, I hope there's nobody around in my house, but I'm I'm just gonna pretend that that's not a thought in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, home invasion. There's just something about it. We we haven't really talked much of it on the podcast, but ooh, it just I, I think it hits very close to home. In I mean, you know, in in a way that often other genres don't, because it is you know grounded in in plausibility. Exactly, exactly, because it's, it's something like they're just random people like that don't have anything special about them, and just people chose that house to invade for no reason. Could be me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Moving on to something more fantastical, um, we decided to bring Mark on to the episode today because, as Nathaniel mentioned, we are deviating a little bit from the traditional horror genre. Uh, I want to clarify, though, of course, horror can essentially cover any other genre that's what's awesome about it 
Uh, but we want to dive into two kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe shows that really have kind of leaned into the horror theme. Uh, those being Moon Knight and Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange's second movie. And Nathaniel, you and I are pretty well-versed in the world of Marvel. I would consider us to be pretty expert on certain topics. Yeah, yeah, at least, you know, uh, better than your average viewer, I'd say. Sure, sure. Uh, Mark blows us out of the water. Uh, the information that he has in his brain uh, surrounding Marvel and its universe uh, oftentimes just leaves me with my mouth open on how much he knows. Uh, it's, it's quite impressive. Uh, Mark, do you want to maybe give us a little insight into where your Marvel addiction got started or kind of where it came from? Yeah, how did you yeah. get your first fix? Oh, man. Oh, this is a deep, deep... Like, was it was it all those men question. was it no. all those men in in tight clothing <laughs> <Spandex>. <laughs> what what's funny what's funny that you said that just like a, a side note like i once had a group of friends ask me like we went around the room saying like what's the straightest thing about us and what's the gayest thing about us and everybody said to me mark the straightest thing about you is that you how much you love superheroes the gayest thing about you is how much you love superheroes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But uh, no, I actually grew up loving Superman. Superman was like all time favorite. Uh, it came from my mom. We watched all the Superman movies, um, one through four, those amazing movies. But then as I grew up, I had a lot of really close friends that we played, like, you know, imagination, you know, as like, elementary school kids and they were very much into like the iron man captain america whole kind of stuff so i kind of like learned about them early on but never actually got into the comics it wasn't till until pretty recent i say recent but like 10 years ago when the first iron man came out and i watched it in theaters and i was blown away and i wanted to know everything about iron man so I remember like looking it up, researching about it. Still never got super deep into comics because it's kind of overwhelming getting into the comic book world. Especially um, but... Marvel. Good heaven. Yes. Yeah, for real. Because mm -hmm. as we might talk about, the Multiverse of Madness, there's so many different iterations of every single character. It's hard to like pinpoint the best place to start. But still have watched every Marvel movie millions of times shouldn't say millions but many times and just love all of them i don't dislike any of them dang there's a few i dislike <laughs> <laughs> yeah likewise we're gonna talk about one Ooh! Uh -oh. what <laughs> what <laughs> no dislike is not is not the right word we'll get into it um before we go headfirst into the world of marvel nathaniel you did something amazing do you want to just give us like a quick little tidbit of it because we could talk a lot more about it but that is not the focus of today's episode yes i'll just uh dip my toe uh into uh having recently gone to StokerCon, which of course is a magical experience uh so for those of you not in the know StokerCon is the horror writers association uh their big uh yearly convention it's where the uh bram stoker awards are uh, given out every year and basically it's just a bunch of horror writers and you know s some other people in the uh, horror world uh, you know be it some some filmmakers and publishers and editors and you know agents and stuff like that all coming together and you know lots of panels lots of uh, cool events and 
basically it was magical. I made tons of uh, new friends, uh, spent a lot of time with uh, some, some older friends, you know, got to actually like meet some people who we've had on the podcast before, like, you know, Grady Hendrix. I, I got to spend uh, a good chunk of time just, you know, chatting with him, hanging out, you know, also uh, Linda Addison, who we've also had on the podcast, just lots of wonderful people uh let's just say i made some very good connections that are going to result in some really exciting episodes in the future ones that y'all are definitely not going to want to miss uh because people are super rad in the horror community and i love it um and you know along those lines you know i got to pitch my book to a few agents i currently have two agents that want to see a little bit more of my stuff so hey fingers crossed there that's awesome Needless to say, it was a magical time, and um, StokerCon's the best, and uh, anyone from StokerCon, because I, of course, shamelessly plugged the podcast the whole time, uh, checking this uh, episode out. What's up? Now let's move on to Marvel. Yeah, the first uh, episode, not episode, wow, first series that we want to talk about is Moon Knight. Yeah. Oh my god, you're alive. What's wrong with you, Mark? Why did you call me Mark? That must be very difficult. The voice is in your head. Shut up! There's chaos in you. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is a limited series, possibly. We might get another season. Oh, there's definitely another uh, season. But before we do anything, both of these shows or movies, whatever we want to call them this afternoon. Well, one of them's a movie, one of them's a show. Yeah, but I'm going to use them like, you know, I'll I'll call Moon Knight a movie and Doctor Strange a show. Um, They are fairly recent, so there's going to be a lot of spoilers, probably more so than we usually do. So if you want to conserve your innocence and and not be spoiled, Go away, watch these things, come back. We'd love to chat. And I'll just say they both have my glowing endorsement. So Moon Knight, uh, let's, let's start there. Uh, Moon Knight was an interesting character for me to hear that they were going to kind of create a series about. He's a rather obscure character. Uh, Mark, I know you've heard him kind of being compared to like Marvel's Batman, so to speak. which. In part, I can see, but I think he's much more complex than Bruce Wayne. I mean, I can I can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Originally, Moon Knight really was just kind of a straight up Batman clone. They they you know try to make him distinct enough to you know avoid getting sued. But I mean, Marvel and DC have been stealing from each other for a long time. I mean, look at Dark Side and Thanos. Look at uh, Man Thing and Swamp Thing. I mean. There's there's lots of ripping each other off. And so, like, this isn't anything new, but they didn't really have a Batman equivalent. You know, we, people like to compare, like, Iron Man to Batman, and there's certainly, you know, things we can compare. But, yeah, like, Moon Knight was kind of more, you know, similar modus operandi, especially in his early comics. But, you know, as writers kept going with it, they kind of started to branch off and make him more unique and, the, and really got into the DID stuff and, and really try to kind of flush him out as a character and make him more distinctive. But yeah, like initially, it feels like a bad knockoff of Batman. So we have this Moon Knight character who, again, kind of started in that position. 
But like you mentioned, Nathaniel, we soon discover that this is a character that suffers from DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder. And we could probably spend an entire episode kind of dissecting this mental illness. And we're not going to, of course. Uh, we'll probably reference it here and there and talk about what it is and how it comes through this character of Moon Knight. Uh, so all of this is kind of contextual information. Let's move into this Marvel series that we have, because overall, I think this is top-tier Marvel. Uh, WandaVision, I still think, kind of reigns supreme in my mind, but mm -hmm. Moon Knight was really the only other contender for that place. And Mark, I know you kind of struggle. You, you think it kind of overpasses WandaVision to some regard. Yeah, absolutely. We I actually after we finished um, Moon Knight, it took me probably like a week or two to process and think. It it just barely beat WandaVision for me, so it is on my number one of Disney Plus Marvel series. So let's dive into some of the pros. Uh, first and foremost, I think the story that they're telling here is incredibly compelling. Uh, the characters that we are introduced to are very realistic but then also fantastic at the same time uh, we have us or excuse me oscar isaac is playing moon knight uh and then ethan hawk is arthur harrow who is an interesting villain uh, and then may kalamawi not sure if i'm saying that right plays kind of a supporting role as layla and the the plot really kind of revolves around this triangle of individuals the complexity though is Isaac, I wow, I cannot say his name. Oscar Isaac uh, mm -hmm. suffers from dissociative identity disorder. So really, he's playing two. Later, we find out three characters at the same time, which is a mind fuck. I definitely really liked the story. I liked the you know, kind of motivations, and and I guess you know we did kind of leave out two major players too, because we do have Amit. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, this, this evil goddess who is kind of pulling the strings for Harrow. And then we have, yeah, Khonshu, who is, is definitely, you know, this, this Egyptian god who is, is pulling the strings behind Moon Knight and is, is you know, kind of the origin of the powers. And what I love is that, like, none of these characters are necessarily all good or all evil. Or, you know, like, there's a lot of moral ambiguity sewn into kind of all of their characters. You know, even, even like, you know, the most sympathetic character, which I would argue is Steven, you know, one of the personalities. He also still, like, makes some kind of decisions that you go, huh, that's not exactly, like, good guy decision necessarily. And so there's a lot of moral ambiguity. There's a lot of, you know, interesting, you know, kind of uh, standpoints in terms of, what the character's motivations are, why they're doing what they're doing, that I think is really strong in the in the series as a whole. I agree completely. I think what Marvel is doing really to stay current and relative is it's shifting away from this paradigm of the Boy Scout superhero. You know, our Captain Americas, our Spider-Mans, kind of these innocent, purely good superheroes that have good intentions and good motivations. And we're moving more into a realm of complexity, I think. Um, and examples of this would be Moon Knight. Uh, we're going to talk about Doctor Strange and Wanda Maximoff in the multiverse. We're getting characters that are a little bit more, I would argue, compelling because they feel more authentic to me. 
uh, as humans, all of our motivations can be very uh, good or bad. It usually just depends on how it serves us. And I like to see that reflected. Uh, but Mark, what do you think as far as the characters go within Moon Knight? Yeah, no, you both bring up really good points. And that's one of the, my favorite things about Moon Knight and like some of the directions that Marvel's going recently because you know they established it with Captain America being like the all like the the Boy Scout good can't make a mistake kind of person. But now we're seeing the characters, all of them think that they're doing the right thing, which I feel like makes more compelling stories from both perspectives of like the hero and the villain. Because, you know, I know that Loki is another one that's kind of beloved. It's it's these characters that you feel like you see their kind of point of view, even like Thanos, like, oh, he has a good point, but he's just being like his ultimate goal just seems like a little bit more um, evil. Because when you look at like from Steven and Mark yeah. and Layla, all their perspectives, they're they're wanting to do the right thing, but their way of going about it may be a little bit more morally ambiguous. But even Harrow, actually, now that I think about it, like really, he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's doing what's best for the world, but he it's just that line, that moral line, like where do we stand? That's what the difference between the hero and the villain in this story. Yeah, we. We've talked on the podcast before about kind of this uh, Christian-centric theme in American movies and TV where there's a very apparent evil, there's a very apparent good, good triumphs evil, but the good is, you know, a very well-established, it fits in the realm of morality and ethics, and everyone would argue, you know, that it is a good motivation. And I think things are changing a little bit as well. And I think you can see that through Marvel shows like this, that human nature is complex and everybody thinks they're the best person and, you know, the lead performer in their life. And so the, I don't know, the divergence into that and exploring the consequences of maybe our selfish acts is really fascinating. Well, and, and something I find really interesting um, is... You know, we, we we see this kind of cycle when it comes to like literature and storytelling, kind of over and over and over again. Um, yeah. y- you know, as as you all probably are well aware, I'm an English teacher, and so you know, <gasps> what I know, right? Um, but like, it's it's super fascinating to look at. Like, there are periods in time where all of the stories are these like black and white morality plays, right? Like, it's it's good and evil, and it's very black and white. Um, and then we usually have a reaction to that, where suddenly there's a lot of moral ambiguity, um, and then we go back to people going, oh, but I don't like how ambiguous it is. I want there to be clear set morals. And then so it goes back and forth, really, between those two kind of uh, you know, extremes. And so, yeah, I think once we have a whole bunch of one we always seem to shift back to the other. You know, we see that you know, even within like, you know, the cycle of a single character. You, know, you look at Batman... Um, and, you know, throughout time, there are the, you know, there's like usually like a decade or two of, you know, Boy Scout, super good, always, you know, self-sacrificing Batman. And then there's like dark, gritty, complex, you know, beating someone half to death kind of Batman. And, and it keeps going back and forth in terms of, you know, what do we want from the character? And the same thing is true, I think, yeah, with, with the Marvel Universe now. We had the clean, shiny, clear-cut morals. Now we want moral ambiguity. And I'm guessing 
you know, if if the MCU is still kicking or you know still going as as strong in in ten years, which I I would be shocked if it wasn't, we're probably going to see a shift back to the other. Yeah, that's that's an interesting insight, and it kind of makes me want to look out into the macro world a little bit and see are there sociological issues that are going around during this time that is kind of weighing in on the media that we're consuming and shifting that narrative one way or the other. I mean, I I, I think that that definitely plays a big role. Um, you know, you look at politics, you look at, you know, world events, you know, a lot of times we ha- we want black and white morality when there's a lot of war going on, when there's a lot of plague or death or things like that. And then once we're, you know, out of that, we want things to, to we, we want to look at, okay, maybe the world's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, and, and we can even see this all in horror, too. Like, you know, a lot of the early uh, horror was actually really morally ambiguous. You know, like the, the classic universal monsters and stuff, it really wasn't good versus evil. But then we kind of have, you know, the emergence of a lot of horror that was, you know, a hero standing up against the, the darkness kind of thing. And then we go back and forth. And, you know, you know, in the 70s, we have a lot of, like, really gritty, unpleasant things. And then we suddenly, you know, and so it's all morally ambiguous. And then we have the exorcist emerge. And suddenly it's all, you know, good versus evil again. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I see that. Uh, shifting away from kind of the narrative discussion, I, as, you know, a, an amateur mythologist, a fan of mythology, in particular Egyptian mythology, I really appreciated the authenticity that they put into this series. I was kind of stunned at how authentic and true it was to kind of the core Egyptian belief. Was it 100% accurate? No. And that's okay. I think Marvel has that prerogative to kind of twist and bend the mythology. But I think the cultures of old have so many fascinating stories and ways to interpret the world. It really fits into the supernatural and kind of the world of, of Marvel. And I, yeah, I like I that it, was... it wasn't just the same three, you know, Egyptian gods that you've heard of. Yeah, Osiris was kind of a weenie, right? Like <laughs> Ahmet and Khonshu, these two very vague deities were the the lead players we didn't get any of osiris anything from ra horus isis or isis as we have to say now um it was just very fresh for me very refreshing mark you had something to say sorry yeah um i i just thought it was like it was perfect because i I, i'm not a huge egyptologist or like anything by that means but i mean max like watching it with you and having your experience and like just saying, oh yeah, that's accurate, that's accurate. And then also seeing the way that they like took um elements from the the comics of Moon Knight and, and did like that perfect marriage between authentic Egypt mythology and Marvel comics and made it just a really fun story in in Egypt. And it was cool because I believe one of the directors is Egyptian and he did everything in his power to make it as authentic to Egypt and Cairo as possible. So that was really cool. Which accomplishes two things. First and foremost, it allows diversity to exist without being overbearing. You know, Mm. we're not playing the diversity card. We're not forcing POC characters in a story just because they're POC characters. We're allowing the culture of Egypt to play out without it being the plot point. You know, this comes up a lot when we talk about queerness in movies, that usually the drama is centered around a boy coming out or lesbians kissing or you know, the, the drama of the family. It's very rare that you see representation 
where being queer is not a plot point, it's a facet of the plot. And I think that's what Moon Knight does expertly, is it's set in a world that is diverse, and it just lets it breathe and live in its own way, and it's powerful. Yeah, it, it's the actual natural diversity of the world. You know, diversity exactly. for realism, not diversity for, uh, you know, virtue signaling. Another thing that I really enjoyed was how separate it was from the rest of the Marvel Universe. Uh, one thing I love about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the little Easter eggs that are in every film. It's one of my favorite things. I think it allows fans to theorize very well. Uh, but Moon Knight in particular was pretty distant from the rest of the world as far as Marvel goes, and I kind of enjoyed that. It was nice to have kind of this isolated story and just let the story play out. It's not connected to Infinity Stones or Thanos or Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor. It it just was, and that was cool. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, that was actually one of my favorite things, too, because it didn't feel like it needed to borrow anything from any other Marvel stories to build it. It had its own foundation, and it, it was completely separate. Like, I know there might have been, like, like Max, like you said, small Easter eggs here and there, but like to the casual viewer, they wouldn't have noticed anything like that, and it was very strong on its own. And moving into the realm of um, dissociative identity disorder, I think that was also part of that element of diversity. You know, mental health is such on the forefront nowadays, but again, it, it wasn't... It was the plot point, of course, because Oscar Isaac was portraying this character suffering from this. But they did it in a way that brought humanity to the disorder to some regard. We got to see this character suffer through this illness and finally come to terms with the illness. And for such kind of a marginalized mental health issue, I think that was super important. It also kept the viewers guessing. You know, Mark, you and I, as we started to finish it, there's the scene where Oscar Isaac wakes up in a hospital and he sees Harrow, this villain, who's his psychiatrist and he's in a mental hospital. And Moon Knight in the comics is kind of this complex character who we don't know if he has superpowers or not. And, and so it became this tangle of wait, what's going on? What is real? Is this really a dream? Is it all in his head? What's happening? Yeah, I, I thought it was funny because we had talked about Moon Knight a little bit before the series came out. And one, one of the things that I read was like, it's always feels pretty ambiguous whether or not like Moon Knight really has powers or he's some guy that just thinks he has powers. I'm like, I don't know if they'll portray that in a show. It feels like they would go lean on the side of like, everything's real. But then you watch it like, wait, What's real? What's not? Who knows? I loved it. Nathaniel, you wrote about some scenes of creepiness and horror. You want to dive into those a little? Yeah. Wow, I'm saying dive in a lot tonight, guys. Let's wow. just dive in. <laughs> yeah. I'll just drill on in. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I just like that the, the series does have some, some good moments that are, you know, kind of genuinely creepy or weird i mean you know it's it's one of those things where you know because there's the mystery because there's the unknown because there are monsters and and things like that and and you know the kind of disorientation of the character and and us as an audience there are some really great scenes that you know, kind of capture that you know i i felt like uh early on in the series like when he 
is fighting the kind of like jackal monster thing in the um in the museum like you know even though it wasn't ever like full-blown horror it definitely had a lot of horror beats to it especially you know like moments of it you know kind of creeping around like it, it felt you know very similar to you know being stalked by a monster in in a, in a horror film you know you can see that the filmmakers uh who um two two of the three major forces behind the um the show by the way are horror filmmakers um they you know definitely knew what they were doing in terms of pacing in terms of presentation of creatures and all that kind of stuff and also like one of the very first thing, things that happens in the show is you know uh just someone putting glass in their shoes and oof if that's not body horror i don't know what is uh, one thing that i just want to say real quick i thought the action in moon knight was superb it kind of transcended a little bit the marvel action scenes that we see it, it did feel a little bit more grotesque and gritty at times uh, and i just really appreciated it the last episode in particular when moon knight uh scarlet scarab and harrow were all fighting together that was just like pure nerdgasm that was awesome and the music with it so good I think the last thing that we can discuss is probably the post credit scene, which I would argue is the best post credit scene in all of Marveldom. <laughs> um, well, that's was, a bold claim. It was awesome. Uh, it was pretty sweet. I think we kind of were led to believe that the Moon Knight story was being wrapped up and tied with a nice little bow. Everyone seemed to be happy and pressing on. And then all of a sudden we see Khonshu in the limo with Oscar Isaac playing another third personality that had been alluded to. Jake Lockley. And Khonshu just shoots Harrow up with uh, some lead, and <laughs> we're left with that. Mark, I think this moment kind of left your, your mouth wide open. You were not expecting this. Uh, no, I, I had been wondering, so at, in my nerdy form, like I had read all about Moon Knight and how when we started watching it, it was like, oh, they're only uh, they're only talking about Stephen and Mark, but there is a third one that's in the comics that's a lot talked about. I guess they're not going to address him, but then you get hints of like there's somebody else inside, and I wasn't sure if they were going to talk about it. And then the, the show ended, and then the post credit scene came up, like, oh, there he is! Oh my gosh, that's so cool! Oh, so I loved it. I loved the like the little lingering last second to kind of keep you keep that cliffhanger for potential growth or like more of moon Knight in the future so i'm ex very excited to see what happens yeah me too so like because of how much i was enjoying the show probably when i was uh four episodes in i just decided to read a bunch of moon Knight comics so i read basically like two full runs of of moon Knight, um which i mean really wasn't that much content it was basically like uh five volumes six volumes of of comics yeah so it it was fun to see like all of the ways that it had diverged from the comics um yeah like that that Jake Lockley character is already just from that you know two second snippet that we see of him in in that post credit scene very different from the comic book character cuz he's just like really chatty friendly cabby <laughs> in the comics but yeah it's 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 just fun to see how they have taken a lot of the 
the creepier ideas have played with them have built a, a story that is its own but is also very strong and very true to the character in a lot of ways while you know fitting nicely into the marvel universe i i really want to just see ways that uh, moon knight hopefully will eventually interact with the other characters in the marvel universe just because like that's that's i think where a lot of the the best moon knight comic stuff at least comes from because he's just kind of an asshole to everybody like one of my favorite things that i saw (laughs) was him talking to punisher and and punisher is like oh hey you're still talking to your egyptian god and he's like yeah or or you know it's uh it was uh are you still motivated because you're you know getting orders from an egyptian god and then like Midnight's like, yeah, you're still avenging your dead family. <laughs> and and so it's just like that's that's like who he is. And I and I also, by the way, something we didn't mention was just like the different ways that the superhero has his different forms. You know, we have Moon Knight, you know, going around punching things with the cool cape. And then we had Mr. Knight, the suit, and and how um, those are distinctive characters, and, and in the comics, that's that's true too. You know, we have basically a detective as Mister Knight, and then we have you know, kicking people's teeth in with Moon Knight. So, yeah, I think it's time to um, jump in. How about that? To some of the things we may not have liked about Moon Knight and Multiverse of Madness in a few minutes. Uh, I apologize for me. I think the critic and me came alive while we were watching these two. I know you both really loved these these shows, but I got something to say. Okay. Uh, I think, for me, the biggest drawback in Moon Knight was how they tackled kind of the coming to terms with Mark and Steven. Uh, that's really weird to say, Mark, because you do have a brother named Steven, and I'm just putting that together right now. <laughs> or does uh, he? And Mark, you... Oh! <laughs> Was it me? <laughs> um, so in full honesty, you know, I don't have a psychology degree. Uh, my degree <gasps> is in neuroscience, so I, I've studied a lot of this, uh, but I am in no way a, a therapist or psychiatrist at all. So... My initial reaction to Steven dying towards the end, I really didn't like. I appreciated him dying because in that moment for me, Mark had come to terms with his trauma that was giving him this mental illness. He saw the benefit of it, but was able to be strong and kind of move through it and eventually get to the gates of Osiris and kind of get back to his life. And I, when that, episode came out art can give witness to this i was very moved I, th- I thought it was very almost poetic and then the last episode guess who comes back live steven he was never dead all along and I-, I think sometimes marvel is a little afraid to kill their characters to some extent i call it the marvel death you know in all of the movies and the universe that we have there are really only two main characters who have died died Tony Stark and Black Widow. And so not knowing a lot about DID, I was a little bummed that they kind of rewound and and made his trauma still affect him. But Mark, you did some excellent research and come to find out DID 
uh, a lot of the therapies involved in that is actually kind of embracing these other personalities and not letting them kind of control you, but learning and working together to live your life. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So again, I don't have a degree either, but um, kind of the uh, on the opposite token with you, I I love that moment when Stephen died. It was just like a really like interesting way to show like, oh, you're now pure of heart, so you can make it to the field of reeds and you can go back and return to life. But then after that episode ended, I'm like, well, I feel like that's what makes Moon Knight Moon Knight is his multiple personalities and kind of embracing that. And so when Steve did come back to life, it kind of meshed in. And then later I found out that one of the um, things was what, what they call it, basically one of the, not cures, but one of the best practices or um, ways to move through DID is to come to terms and like work together, like your multiple personalities work together and not against each other. So that's kind of what happened with Mark and Steven at the end. And I thought that was awesome how they did it. And I agree with that. If I know like that is the treatment that makes a lot more sense to me. I just don't know why he had to die. I feel like it would have been a lot more powerful, especially to people who do suffer from this disorder to not see this separate identity just die. Why couldn't Mark and Steven have had that heart to heart and work through it together to come out on the other end? I, I just think Marvel sometimes throws the death card too easily because they're living in this Marvel universe where they can rewind very easy. I agree. I, th I think, yes, the, the personalities is very key to the character, but it did erase a lot of the emotional beats that we yeah, were given. Yeah, yeah. Mm, you know, it, it's... That's... Yeah, like, like it's, it's really one of those, like, I, I have split feelings because I, I think Steven is an interesting character and I don't necessarily want him gone. Oh, I agree. But, I agree. But yeah, I think maybe the better way to have handled it wasn't, yeah, killing him, but maybe just them actually coming to, you know, honest terms with each other, and then they could have both been balanced, and then they could have both gone to the Field of Reeds and went, no, actually, let's go back. That, I think, you know, seeing it as a partnership, which is kind of what we ended up getting anyway, to balance their hearts might have to me, worked better than just, oh, well, he's dead, but no. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think it was handled as well as it should have been, because, yeah, ultimately, yeah, the, the best way to do it is them learning to work together. And that is the end result, yeah. so just make that how know, we solve the problem. It could, it could potentially be, and this is, like, because Marvel has to have their heroic moment of where, like, Steve kind of goes to being, like, completely selfless and like i'm not leaving without or mark goes i'm not leaving without steve it's either we're going together or neither of us kind of thing but i i agree it, it was it could have been handled a little bit better i think nathaniel brought up a really good point is that we received a lot of emotion in the episode before him mm, yeah um it, it almost brought me to tears and it reminds me of a very specific stranger things season four episode that we just watched mark no spoilers um, i haven't watched it yet no spoilers. Uh, no spoilers. Uh, there's a moment that is a profound emotion. And then to go to the next episode and just kind of say, ah, just kidding. Yeah. Weakened that, that emotion for me. However, it doesn't really impact my overall rating of this, this show because it's phenomenal. You know, if this is the critique that I have, there's a lot more good to go against it. Oh, yeah. 
another thing I want to bring up, though, in the last episode is I was vibing with those action scenes. Um, I am an avid fan of mythology, so seeing Amit and Khonshu fighting with the pyramids of Giza in the background and Moon Knight and Harrow and Scarlet Scarab just duking it out. It was awesome. And all of a sudden it was done. <laughs> um, and it, it alludes to this, is it Jake Lockley? Yeah. Jacob Lockley? Jake Lockley, yeah. It alludes to this character that he is just kind of this, this crazed warrior. But we didn't see any of that. And so it, it felt like they ran out of time. And this was an easy way to just wrap the episode up. Harrow's defeated. Amit's defeated. And everyone's on their merry way. And it was just like, wait, what? No! I want to see it! Yeah, I, I agree. I, I did feel like, especially that last episode, wrapped everything up in a quick bow. Mostly just by waving their hands and saying, don't worry about it. It's all fixed. And yeah, I... I felt too quick and convenient i this is this is a thing that i hit a lot as uh, a writer and you know talking about story structure and talking about all that kind of stuff we need to have a satisfying denouement you know that that you know kind of hey we have the uh climax we have the conclusion and then we do need to actually like sit with what happens um you know see the results and so many things just give us the climax and then roll credits. And I'm like, Ugh, you're, you're taking away one of the most important emotional elements of any good story. And that, yeah, unfortunately fell into that trap. I mean, you know, again, I still enjoyed what I got, but it's, it, it gave me denouement blue balls. <laughs> I honestly like Nathaniel and Max like I I think to that point um it 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 is like feeling like like blue balls is like oh my gosh what and I think that's what Marvel was trying to do that that's my guess when I saw that I'm like I think they want us to want more cuz I think they want to put Moon Knight in more stuff and they want the audience to want it so and I I can definitely agree with that but think Here's a thought experiment. What if we had that moment when we thought Mark was about to die with Harrow, and then we got this third personality that we have not seen before, who's more dark, more gritty, <laughs> more graphic, and then all of a sudden it comes back into Steven or Mark. So we saw it, but they didn't. And then leave it with that kind of. What happened? Who is this third other person? I feel like that would have been more satisfying as a viewer. Especially because they had been playing with that in previous episodes of like, well, I didn't do that horrible thing. Well, I didn't right. do it. The, the, the <laughs> flashback or the blackout that is now TikTok famous. Like, oh, yeah. Like you were saying, Nathaniel, give us that finality that we need to wrap up a story. You know, you can have a cliffhanger, but a cliffhanger for cliffhanger's sake just leaves you with blue balls. I love that term. We need a shirt. <laughs> well, just because, yeah, to me, you know, that, that, that's the difference between um, good, you know, story wrapping and, and creating this artificial sense of tension, right? Like, it's, it's the, the example I, I hear a lot in, in, like, writing classes is, like, 
you know, treating like, you know, ending a chapter on, and then she opened the door and gasped, and then started the next chapter. It was the mailman. He was delivering a package. It was bigger than she thought. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, he was. And, and you know, that's, oh, good heaven. Um, you know, when that's, you know, it's it just, it's creating this artificial tension that isn't earned. And, and yeah, so like to me, I would rather have the story completed, um, you know, in terms of this arc, and then give me the next arc. Yeah, you can tease the next arc, but do finish up the arc we have first. You know, that's, that's what makes, I think, you know, a good single standalone piece that is then, you know, has a very good sequel as opposed to a thing that never knows how to end and then you know usually ends up just never giving a satisfying conclusion ever um to wrap up some of our pause the last thing i just wanted to say was i really enjoyed harrow at the beginning of the series but i think his character was kind of weakened as the the series went on that opening scene where he's putting his feet in the shoes with the glass like that had to come from somewhere I would have liked some more background on that. What did Khonshu make him do that led him to this kind of self-harm, you know, kind of moment? Just a little bit behind the monster a bit. Further. Yeah, and, and also maybe just like, okay, he he's just way too good at manipulating all of the other gods, uh, you know, at the, you know, when, when, when they go into the pyramid and stuff you know, kind of that other world thing. Just whenever that came up, it was just like, oh, hey, well, I'm going to say a thing, and suddenly everyone's going to agree with me completely. It, it took away a lot of his power, because he just was, like, maybe too good at manipulating people who should know better. But, again, I'm I'm, I'm really straining at Nats, because I, I really did love the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we move into our ratings, you're going to see that these are very minute critiques critiques criticisms whatever the word is mark you had to rate this screams and crowns how scary was it how good was it for you oh my gosh easy so screams you know it had its moments i feel like the first half of first few episodes were had the major screams for me like the moment that Konshu came in like almost in the elevator and turned into like an old woman that was terrifying to me so but not much so i gave it a two um but crowns i loved it a nine i also rated it a two as far as screams uh i I think it would be kind of scary for younger viewers but other than that it wasn't anything too wild or crazy uh crowns i gave it an eight again i i think wandavision is the supreme marvel disney plus series but this is a very high contender uh same scores as as max uh two and eight i I really liked it. All right. Now let's dive into the multiverse, boys. All right. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. I'm 
sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. Uh, so let's kind of talk about the pros of this movie. Again, spoilers are going to be all over the place here. Uh, this movie has a lot of spoilers that would ruin people's opinion of the movie. So please heed with caution. Uh, first and foremost, Doctor Strange is one of my favorite superheroes of all time. You got Venom, you got Spider-Man, and in like a close third is Doctor Strange. I love him. His sass, the magic, the occultism, it's me as a superhero. And so I was pretty hyped for this movie. I really was excited to see how Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, fit into all of this based on how phenomenal WandaVision was for me. And I think the combination between these two really was fun. Uh, she did not put up with Doctor Strange's sass or wit or even his logic. Wanda was a realized character who had her intentions and her motivations, and she saw them through. And I think that was a really good Achilles heel to the character of Doctor Strange. I think he was a little dumbfounded at some point because of her. I, I agree, uh, especially like when, you, when you're putting this up like against the first film, because like, that's kind of what he did to beat Dormammu, was to basically pull the same kind of stuff that then Scarlet Witch pulls on him. And I loved that, seeing that basically, hey, yeah, he can just kind of, like, bulldoze his way through a problem, and then she does that to him, and maybe better. <laughs> Mark, what do you think? Because I know this movie was, was your chosen one for a few months. Uh, I think not a day went by that we were together that you weren't talking about this movie. Yeah, yeah, this one was definitely one on my uh, list of... Uh, Marvel movies that I was very excited to see because prepping for the multiverse and all that whatnot, but just like honing in on Doctor Strange and Wanda, I love the first Doctor Strange. The visuals mostly were incredible. Just seeing him in like the Mirrorverse and whatnot, it's very like Inception like. It's fantastic. So I was excited to see what they were gonna do with the sequel, um, and also to challenge Stephen. Um, I should clarify Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange, so we don't confuse it with Moon Knight, but uh <laughs> he's like in the first one he's just so cocky like like both of both of you just mentioned he's like can outsmart the enemy but it's really cool to see wanda kind of knock him down a peg like you can't just use this power that you have and outsmart me we're very much at odds so that was really really fun to see in this movie and i think that is what i loved about the show the best is they took wanda maximoff scarlet witch and I think everyone was expecting her to be on the side of Doctor Strange. That they were going to butt heads like Iron Man and Captain America, but they would eventually work together. That was not the case. Scarlet Witch was the villain of this movie. And a villain she was. Oh man, she freaking um, wrecks some fools. <laughs> she, I think, is an underrated and underappreciated superhero in the marvel universe her power and her ambition even really kind of got to me it was dominating it was terrifying and it was powerful and i think this movie shows that very well when she shows up to the monk sanctuary she gives zero fucks she just starts killing people left and right it was badass 
and when she took down the freaking Illuminati, like they were nothing. Oh man. Yeah, we'll get there. Holy Moses. Um, Mark, what did you think of Scarlet Witch? I know she's probably in your top five favorite Marvel characters of all time. And how do you feel they portrayed her? Oh man, you're you're asking to talk about the pros and cons all in one one question. But I will go with the pros first. It was um, incredible but, but, to see. Um, yeah, let's uh, focus on the pros. We'll yeah. get to the cons. Oh yeah, pros first. Pro first. We'll we'll wait the cons for later. But it was incredible to see Wanda on screen. Just just seeing her as this very timid but still powerful character back in Age of Ultron. Um, kind of grow into her own, go through, experience a lot of trauma and loss, and kind of um, accept this whole mantle of the Scarlet Witch and like hone in her powers. Just seeing how unrelentlessly, like just powerful raw power she has, and not holding back on that. It was just so much fun to see. And Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, incredible. Love her. Yeah, she's she is a delight, and a delight to the eyes too. I mean, what? <laughs> you're the only one who would think that right now you know i could still agree with that and not be oh like... no totally <laughs> i will i will give beauty where beauty is deserved um i i also really appreciated how they handled the multiverse yes it's been a point of concern of mine ever since the what if series on disney plus mark and i spent one night until what was it like 2 a.m. in the morning talking about how they handled a specific episode of the What If series in the multiverse. Mm, yeah. Um, it's a complex idea. It's a complex kind of story to play. And I think they did it so well in this movie. We weren't hopping and jumping through all different types of multiverses. We, we stuck to a few. But the way it was portrayed really, I think, helps the viewer understand and accept the narrative without having to think about it. What do you guys think? I, I hard agree. I, I think that was the thing that this movie did way better than I expected. I, I fully expected to go in and, you know, would watch this movie and go, okay, I understand the multiverse, but then I would have to then explain it to a bunch of people afterwards and go, what they were doing here this is why this makes sense i didn't have to it, it was it was seamless it was well done it was well executed it was fun you know we got some you know little moments of some of the really weird worlds like the paint universe and all of that kind of stuff but for the most part we had you know like what four main multiverse worlds that we kind of got a, a good feel for that's that's very manageable yeah, Nathaniel, I agree. And something that I would say I on top of that, uh, Marvel does a really good job at explaining, I feel like, complex ideas and making it very easy to understand. So like in in Avengers Endgame with the time travel and now Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the multiverse, while they are complex, uh, they I feel like they make it so easy to understand what you need to understand for that story. Yes. If you go digging into the weeds okay, things get a little bit hairy, but you don't need to understand all of that for what they're trying to tell, if that makes sense. Yeah, they give us the elements we needed to, to you know, appreciate the roadmap. Mm-hmm, exactly. I think it is very important as well to talk about America Chavez. 
and again marvel knocks it out of the park by having a poc character who's also queer who also has queer parents who that really isn't the discussion you know she's definitely queer the jacket that she wears has a little amor es amor it has uh, a pride flag on it but it doesn't come up it's not a plot point it's just who she is who her parents were and that was very moving and meaningful for mark and i especially watching it in theaters you know as a queer couple seeing us represented in a big budget marvel movie that was just cool uh props to marvel props to disney yeah, I, I agree. They handled it well. And Anne America was just a great character. Like, she, she was spunky. She was fun. Her powers were interesting. Um, you know, even though she was, you know, a new character for this, um, you know, I, I was cheering for her within, you know, five minutes. So, you know, she, she was a great addition um, to the Marvel Universe and was uh, great. I, I, I thought she was, you know, one of my favorite parts of the, the whole thing was just, you know, watching her and, and seeing her interesting character yeah i'll have to agree with that nathaniel i uh walking out of the movie i have to say surprisingly enough she was my favorite character of the movie just her spunk her her personality that energy that she gave and it makes me really excited to see what marvel's going to do next with with her character the battle scenes though the music battle strange versus strange (gasps) music notes how cool (laughs) yeah yeah i i just I think I just need a minute to like appreciate just how Sam Raimi this movie was. Like, mm. as soon as I heard, uh. step off. <laughs> okay, we'll get to it. Okay. I I have a great love of of a lot of things that are that Sam Raimi's uh, done. You know, especially you know the original Evil Dead trilogy, and um, you know like. Of course, the the Spider Man trilogy and and you know lots of uh, and and also you know some other fun fun points along the way. Dark Man, uh, Ash vs Evil Dead. You know a lot of things. Like like what he does is he you know he just has such a unique style and it's so off the wall bonkers. You know it doesn't always work in every movie that he he makes. Like for example, I don't really love uh, Drag Me to the uh, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell. It's not one of the best. Yeah, and and like a lot of people love that movie, and I get why it works for people. But for me, it just it didn't land. But man, that dude swings for the freaking fences like no other. And I felt, at least for my you know movie going experience, like this movie was crazy and just off the wall and weird. And that that's what I wanted it to be. You know, I wanted it to be more horrific um, than your run-of-the-mill horror movie, uh, run-of-the-mill Marvel movie, which this absolutely was. And there, there is some pretty gruesome stuff uh, here and there, uh, and also, yeah, like it was just silly and weird, and you know, but was one hundred percent committed to what it was. You know, yeah, the music fight does that like necessarily make sense? No, but it was freaking awesome, and I don't give a shit. I I had the best time. Hundred percent agree. Also, we of you course had to get our uh, Bruce Campbell cam Bruce Campbell cameo in there, 
and it was definitely a little nod to Evil Dead. Love that. The whole hand attacking him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cannot uh, say how much I love that uh, adequately. I just was like, oh, this is what they're doing? Oh, I'm so happy. Um, and then also... I'm pretty sure that, you know, in, in a very Sam Raimi fashion, some of the monster stuff, especially, like, near the end with the, uh, like, spirits of the damned or whatever that are attacking the zombie strange, I'm pretty sure those were stop motion. I'm, like, 90% sure. That was so great. And just, yeah, the way they acted, the way they, you know, were, like, weird and, and angry and chaotic. Yeah. Um, it, it just checked all of the Sam Raimi boxes I wanted it to check, and more. It's funny, because I was just thinking about like some of the horror moments, for me at least, in the movie. I know we don't really, doesn't look like a um, specific note about it, but one of the things that I just wanted to bring up was, there were some moments that, for me, kind of terrified me, because I remember the moment where, I think it's Doctor Strange and America Chavez are like trying to run underneath like in the sewers or whatnot, and they're closing the door, but mm-hmm. the door's behind them because Wanda's coming in. And she somehow, like, sneaks through with her magic, sneaks behind them, like, jumps and scares, like, appears. And, and America Chavez screams. And I feel like half the audience started screaming in that moment. So they had some really scary moments, which were really fun to have. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. So I think we were all very hyped for the Illuminati. Uh, we got that, like, trailer, I think, the week before the movie actually came out where it finally confirmed that the illuminati was going to be there see i i just avoided all like i avoided everything after that first trailer so i had no idea and then when it was i was like oh they're gonna do the illuminati like you know half a scene earlier and oh yeah that's because you're not dating mark Pedersen. you know nathaniel i honestly i wish going back i wish i could have avoided that that second trailer but i know if i had gone back i would have done the same thing because there's no way i can stop myself (laughs) you know that's fair uh those choices for the illuminati let's just talk about them and revel in them for a minute i think my favorite moment from the movie is when they showed john krasinski as mr fantastic and i almost scream whispered it's john krasinski you say you say almost. I was sitting right next to you. It was very loud. He said, John Krasinski! Like, I swear the whole theater heard you. I was bamboozled! I never thought he would be in it. To, you know, to be fair, I think I literally did exactly the same thing with no shame. <laughs> and, and I will say, great, great choice. It was the first time in my entire life I cared about Reed Richards because I think the Fantastic right? Four freaking sucks. Yeah, I agree. Up to this point, we have never had like a good representation of the Fantastic Four. Well, and- I'll... I'll, 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 I'll deviate just in that uh also the fantastic four comics suck but go on uh, but but john krasinski as mr fantastic would make me care yeah right he is great so great such a good choice and then we finally got our charles xavier x-men are in the marvel universe kinda oh oh you know this is gonna go places oh they can't just leave it at this oh of course not i mean we're, we're gonna get more when when you see that the the floating yellow wheelchair mm. 
you know, kind of float into the screen and it had the music cues from the 90s cartoon, I gasped. I knew it was coming, but I still gasped. I think our entire theater gasped. (laughs) It was so All around the world, we gasped. And also... And then... And also, on top of all of that, also, you know, the the live-action Captain Carter... Mm. And just too bad what Wanda did to them. I was just going to say the next gasp <laughs> that was heard around the world <laughs> was hurt was just when... wrecking them. <laughs> was Captain Carter getting split in two by her own damn shield? Like, holy cow, boys, what was that? It was freaking full blown no. Sam Raimi bonkers horror. Yeah, yeah. I think my, my favorite of all of the deaths had to have been Black Bolt. Just because he's, you know, this amazing superhero that can do so much damage with his voice. And what does she do? Takes away his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was very good. And also, I never cared for most of the Inhumans, including Black Bolt. And him popping his own brain kind of made me go, yeah. There we go. All my frustration whenever they've come up in the comics. It, it, it was all all just taken care of right then. Yeah, you can say props to Reed Richards for telling Wanda what his power was before she stopped him. So. All right, should we um, step into, I'm trying to think of other terms now, some of the things we did not like uh, other than I, the ice cream song. No, I'm not, I'm not ready to be yeeted into the cons yet. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Because we still have not given Mr. Danny Elfman his due because oh, holy fair. crap, that dude absolutely crushed it with this movie. Yeah, that Danny Elfman can do no wrong. Has he ever composed music that has sucked or been minimally bad? I mean, no, but this was, I would say, a high point in his career. And I mean, the dude was, you know... The front man of Oingo Boingo, so this is this is saying high stuff. <laughs> uh, Danny Elfman, this is incredible work in this movie. Uh, so many great moments. Okay, so now you can cast us into the cons. I d- am not casting anyone. It is the two twins singing the ice cream song that is casting us into the cons. We like ice cream! <laughs> It was a choice, I will say that. <laughs> to dive in. I think the hardest thing for me to resolve after watching the film was Marvel suffers from the hype train a little bit. I think that the universe is so well established and the fan base is so well established that there are a lot of theories that go around. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of expectations that are kind of put on the film before it even comes out. And I might take your practice into play for the next big budget Marvel film, Nathaniel, and just avoiding a lot of that so that when the movie comes, I'm not disappointed by things that I shouldn't be disappointed by, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm getting from this is not that the movie was bad, but that you did this to yourself by watching too many trailers. Ooh. Um, Okay, again, try dating Mark Pedersen and doing that. Um, but also, you know, don't blame me. I'm just saying, <laughs> no. one teaser, <laughs> one teaser, and then I'm out for any movie that I'm interested in. 
uh, no, that is just the start of my issue. So don't you worry, sweet Nathaniel. Um, but I do. If you if you look at it and you look at the kind of the fan base before the film came out, there were so many things going on. A lot of people thought the X-Men were going to be revealed. There were Deadpool rumors, uh, you know, Spider-Man rumors, even Venom rumors. I even saw like there's just so much going into it. And the idea of the multiverse being unfolded before our eyes really it was tough to not have all of that. And say what you want to say about doing it to myself. But I also think the fan base did it to us as well. Um, the hype for this movie. I mean, this was the post credit scene of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Like Marvel did it to themselves in some regard, I'd argue. I mean, yes, but you know, at least with the fan stuff, you know, you can mute stuff on Twitter, right? Yes, I agree. I don't think <laughs> you're hearing my true argument though here is, which is that the Marvel universe is so big. I think a lot of the fans expect certain things and it, it's kind of like a, a critic bomb. Before you even see the movie, you're expecting things before you see it. And it hurts the integrity of the film. Yeah, I just avoid all that. I... Well, I guess you're better than us. <laughs> I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Mark, did you have anything to say about the hype train? I know you're the conductor of the hype train. So you might want to stay out of this argument. I mean, that's kind of where I was just like, I'll just, I'll just sit here peacefully and just continue watching every Marvel movie that comes out and be just as excited for everyone. I think, I think right. the big thing that that uh, you brought up in the notes is something that I, I actually really do agree with in a lot of ways, with the being the biggest con of the film. Yes, I, I, with all of the badassery that Scarlet Witch encaptured like, in this film, um, I do think her motivations were incredibly shallow. I felt like her being a villain, she was a good villain, but her descent into being a villain was very weak. The entire arc of WandaVision for me was this theme of kind of let love persist after death. There's that famous quote from Vision where he says that grief is just love persisting. And as I was watching that in WandaVision, that was incredibly profound to me. That quote is now one of my favorites. And Wanda, while she is kind of harsh, she trapped Agatha in her own little pocket dimension for eternity until she gets out. She had this moment where I felt as a viewer... She had come to terms to the things that had happened in her life and was going to move forward in a way that might still be painful, but that she saw the light again, that she was able to, to hold her grief with grace rather than hate. Am I tracking yes. so far? Yes, and yeah, I 100% and I agree. So going into Doctor Strange, we find out that again there was this weird cut where all of a sudden she's using this dark grimoire to try and find her children in the multiverse that is her motivation and all of the sudden all of that beautiful grace and beautiful grief that she held at the end of wandavision seemed to not matter anymore her sole motivation was i'm a mom 
and no one can stop me. And I have a lot of trauma with people in my life who have done terrible things because they're a mom. It's it's just not a good motivation. I'm sorry. Being a mom is not a personality. It's it's a title and it's an honor. It's a responsibility, but it does not define you. And so to use that as a motivation to be a villain completely kind of took the rug under this beautiful Scarlet Witch arc that we got in WandaVision. I yes. I I, I think on its own it works decently for this film but i agree like basically we had a lot of character growth and then it basically just did a quick heel turn to kind of justify her being the villain of this film you know so so yeah like looking at the pieces separately i like them both independently of each other but when you look at that connective tissue there is a, a certain very noticeable cognitive dissonance there right and, and yeah, I think that is the biggest weakness of the film because it is part of a greater universe. Wanda, you know, operating as she is, is a little troubling, to, to say the least. Like, you know, I as a parent myself, like, I totally understand, like, the, you know, you know level of, of love and devotion and, you know, things I'll do for my kids, and, you know... 100%. You know, I'm on board with that. And and so, like, this being her driving force for doing stuff, sure, if we didn't have the scene at the end of WandaVision where she basically lets them go and, you know, kisses them goodnight for the last time and then they stop to... And, and then she lets them stop existing. But unless that's ripped from her, which it wasn't in WandaVision, this doesn't feel consistent at all. It, yeah, I, I I have a thought. Um, no, I, so what with a big franchise like Marvel and with a, a, like arches of like character arcs over like multiple movies, sometimes we don't see characters for like a few years and stuff's been going on in between them. But as an audience, we see like okay, this movie ended and then we see them again in this other movie. We just assume that they're the same personality wise and like their level of growth or whatever but they've just had things happen mm-hmm. to them and so when we see them again they're the same person same personality same level of like hero villain whatnot um and we don't need to bridge any gaps but then with wanda we end wandavision on a note like she's a hero she comes at she kind of goes through like the steps of like her loss and grief and whatnot and then it, like like Nathaniel, you said, like letting her children go, we just get a teeny glimpse, the post credit scene of like her, like realizing her kids are still out there as she's researching the dark hold. And that is kind of what's, um, and it, it, it feels like Marvel just says like, okay, we've given you that. Now you need to accept that she's done everything over time from the WandaVision up until Dr. Strange. Now she's like hell bent on getting her kids back. So I, I do see that point of like, it just feels like there's this gap that I wish we could have kind of seen that descent to connect mm-hmm. it. And um, which well, and and even you know, just you know, seeing her maybe creating this kind of you know delusion for herself. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's not my universe that I'm killing these people. It doesn't you know basically, um, I don't know. Just just like her taking smaller steps that then lead to the bigger 
hey, she's just snapping necks and, you know, killing people left and right. Yeah. Like, just, also, just even, even if we had more allusions to, oh, hey, you don't actually yeah. know, that, you know, how I, how I've built up to this. Well, and also if we want to take a look at it too on a more micro level, America Chavez character is a child who has been separated from her parents. And Wanda does not show any empathy to this child who is estranged from her own family. She gets to the point where she wants to take America's powers and essentially kill her for her own selfish reasons. And that is an issue. If Wanda's motivation is to look for children for her children who are estranged from her, it would make sense with the character arc that we saw in WandaVision for her to see some empathy in America Chavez, to see some, some mentorship that, oh my God, here is another child who has lost her family. But instead, there's nothing. There's cruelty. And it just, as cool as she is, the Wanda we got in WandaVision was very different from the Wanda we have in Doctor Strange. And Nathaniel, I agree with you. And Mark, I also agree with you that at a micro level, looking at WandaVision and then looking at Doctor Strange, they are very disparaging and kind of frustrating for me. But if we zoom out and look at it at a macro level of WandaVision and Doctor Strange are essentially kind of the same film. I would argue that it's better to watch all of WandaVision and then immediately watch Multiverse of Madness because then you're not kind of contemplating on the mythos and the ethos of Wanda's arc and narrative. As long as you have a nice title card that says, you know, nine months and a lot of messed up stuff later, <laughs> we, then, then, you know, we kick off the movie. But, but yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree, and I, I, I think, you know, this is the weakness of the film. Um, this is definitely the pill that we have to swallow kind of coming into it. And and also, yeah, like, it's it's one of those things where I, I think if we saw a little bit more conflictedness in Wanda, that, that, that she's still willing to go this far. But, yeah, with certain people, maybe she regrets it. You know, with America, she at least kind of regrets it or is, you know, at least will feel guilty or bad about it. That would be, I think, more consistent at the very least than just like, I don't care. I'm going to, you know, murder her and steal her powers. Like, yeah, I think it's just like how cold it is. And and part of it, too, though, to be fair, is the lens through through which we're seeing these stories. You know, with WandaVision, we see a lot of the story through Wanda's eyes. You're right. um, and, and so, like, you know, even though we don't, you know, ever literally get her viewpoint like you would you know in a first person you know book there is a certain level of kind of stylistic ways that we see the the story interpreted through her and i think because it's you know you know with with dr strange we have it you know interpreted through his eyes and we do lack some of the context that we otherwise would have if we saw more of uh wanda's perspective of of this I think that does explain some of that disparity, just kind of naturally, you know, if 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 it's Doctor Strange, it's just like, oh, hey, why is my friend evil now? As opposed to, hey, maybe there's a little bit more moral complexity going on, but we don't get to see that. So I'll, I'll say that, like, that explains some of it, but I do ultimately agree that it does feel maybe a little bit too drastic of a hill turn without giving us a few more... Um, 
I don't know, trail markers along the way. I think we're all thinking about Scarlet Witch now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, again, at the end of the day, you're very right, Nathaniel, and there's even that line that Scarlet Witch says to Doctor Strange of, you know, when you break the world, you're a superhero. When I do it, I'm a villain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very profound. Mark, you and I have talked about that line quite a bit because it's true. Mm -hmm. I think it extends far past the world of superheroes and into the world of realism. I mean, women's narrative of what happens is very different than what the men's narrative is, the man's narrative. I guess I just felt like that quote was almost thrown away because we did not get to see the lens through Scarlet Witch very much. We talked through Moon Knight about how we had all of these very diverse characters with different motives and how their storytelling was very nuanced. They thought they were doing what was best, but we still understood why they were doing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Well, And I think the fallacy of multiverse is we did not get that perspective very well with Scarlet Witch. And and I think you know, maybe what makes it distinct too, though, is that you know with... with uh, Moon Knight, we did have, you know, sometimes shifting perspectives depending on the episode, right? You know, we had Steven episodes and then we had Mark episodes. And, you know, whoever was the viewpoint character really was mostly how we interpreted the world through that or throughout that episode. And so a movie doesn't necessarily lend itself to it as well just because, you know, it's long form and we, we do tend to stick to kind of one viewpoint character throughout a, a whole film unless it's more of an ensemble film. But... You know, I think in this case, maybe having the shifting perspectives might have worked a little bit better, just considering that WandaVision did have such a profound impact on the plot. And I know you guys, kind of shifting gears here, have talked a lot about Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I love Sam Raimi, okay? Let's just get that out there. I understand a director or creative force kind of putting their stamp in a movie and I just felt as the movie continued and got towards the end, it got a little overbearing for me. Uh, in particular, the zombies that are fueling the dead body of Doctor Strange. It, the, the faces like shaking in front of the camera felt very Sam Raimi. It just it almost turned into a gimmick for me, feeling like, hey, I'm Sam Raimi. I directed this film. I'm here. And it just, it pulled me out of the Marvel fantasy for a little bit. I, it, it was a little jarring for me, I guess. I, I definitely see why, why that's the case, especially because Marvel really do, has had pretty tight control over, you know, even, you know, even though they have a, a wide variety of directors and stuff, there's, you know, kind of just some major kind of like stylistic elements that are pretty consistent throughout all of them, right? You know, Basically, you know, between, you know, kind of Iron Man and the first Avengers film, I think that that kind of set the tone for 90% of what we have in the Marvel Universe in terms of just like how the directing is done stylistically. And, and you know, I think that, you know, them being as rigid on that through, for as long as they have makes this movie feel very jarring in comparison. Um, I, I would argue, though, because we have... We have another Doctor Strange movie that was very twisted and bonkers. We have the Guardians of the Galaxies, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, the, like... The, the, the narrative has been quite diverse. 
I I, I I don't disagree that that like we have diverse narratives, but but I'll say like Ragnarok was probably the first like big departure stylistically. Mm-hmm. Like even the original Doctor Strange I, has a lot of things that still you know like in terms of the story structure, in terms of like um, a lot of you know kind of how things are presented to us as an audience. Yes, it's like very mind bendy, but it is ultimately the same kind of general tone of film i i would have to agree with you nathaniel i see that because i get what you're saying like in general there might be like character personalities that might bounce the 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 style of the movie up and down um whatnot but the the whole like feel of the movie so like the one that stood out to me that you guys just mentioned is thor ragnarok taika watiti like i felt like it was very different and surprisingly enough, I really liked Thor Ragnarok, and I know a lot of us did, but a lot of fans didn't because they wanted it to be taken more seriously, and because that's the way a lot of Marvel movies had been going. So I know there are quite a few people out there that didn't like Taika Waititi's like his um, interpretation of the events of Thor yeah. Ragnarok. So that kind of like and, where I feel with Sam. Well, Raimi. and I want to be clear that I it wasn't that I wanted the narrative to be more serious by any means. Oh. As a horror critic, though, I was watching this film and I felt, oh, this is a Sam Raimi film. This is not a Marvel film. That is my problem. Sam Raimi can have creative liberties all he wants. But my issue was this is turning more into a a Sam Raimi thing than it is a Marvel Universe thing. That's all I'm saying. No, no. I I love Sam Raimi and I love what he does, but I think he left his imprint too hard, especially in the latter parts of this film. Well, I I definitely see where you're coming from. I loved it, but I see why it isn't as ubiquitous. Um, And, and, you know, I I think it's interesting because I I think we really are moving towards more of that rather than less because you know, they did bring Taika Waititi back for the next Thor movie. They are, you know, kind of having, I I think, a a more diverse type of directing uh, coming in. And, and, you know, like, I guess a great example of this was with the original Ant-Man film, it was supposed to be more silly and crazy uh, because it was, you know, being... Or originally it was supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright, who who directed you know the uh, you know Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver and and you know he has a, has you know really strong stylistic points and because they weren't letting him do that uh, with his script and and with his directing he walked away from the project but now they are shifting I think more towards letting directors kind of play in the universe more and so i i think we're going to see more of this and and i think yeah some some of the films are really just not going to work for for everybody but i think at this point it's so established that they're willing to experiment more even though yeah like it is a big departure from the existing style and and yeah like it it, it is a, a much bigger thumbprint on this movie than you than i think we've seen even with you know ragnarok i i think my biggest pain point were those zombies these like wild and crazy silly zombies see i love them i love them so much and i guess i just felt in this world of occultism they felt very 
I don't know. It just didn't feel like I was in the same. Yeah, universe. it felt like Deadites. It did, yeah, and it, it felt like the corny, cheesy Deadites, not the the. Yeah, yeah, know. it felt full blown Army of Darkness zany antics. Yeah, that that was not at all like anything we've seen in the Marvel universe ever. Like I, I, one hundred million percent agree. But that's why I liked it, and uh, and I see same thing of why you disliked it. But yeah, like that was like my li- like like my favorite thing in the film. Yeah, I mean, I can speak ad nauseum. I I think I just I felt like it would have meshed better in the beginning of the film because we were at the climax of the plot, and to add these silly, goofy ghost zombies, I, I just I don't know. It was distasteful in my mind. Agree to disagree, but yeah, like I, I want to see yeah, see sure. see where you're coming from on that. <laughs> okay, um, so you think Wong should have died? I do, <laughs> I do. Again, Marvel death. It would have been much more impactful, I think, if Doctor Strange showed up at this crazy temple to fight Doctor Scarlet Witch, and Wong had really died. Why does Scarlet Witch get to murder the entire temple? And then Wong survives a fall from these two behemoth demons and somehow he makes it out alive. It was annoying. That's because Wong is awesome. No, I love Wong. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it's a, and he's a sorcerer supreme, so he can't die. It's a Marvel no. death. Give us the death. Give us the realism. But if that was how he went out, that would have been pretty lame. I, I don't necessarily disagree that like him dying would would it, it it would have honestly added, yeah, some some impact to the last act of the film for sure. Him just falling off a cliff would have been the super lame way to kill him. You know, I I'd have to have him like eviscerated by Scarlet Witch or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Marvel is afraid to kill their characters unless their contract is up. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Mark, I know, has a very anno- big annoyance with Mordo. You want to dive into that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say like a huge annoyance, but it was kind of dis- I was disappointed. I will say this is what, one of the things that I can absolutely say was a, a disappointment in the movie was I rewatched the first Doctor Strange before seeing Multiverse of Madness and like Mordo leaves it just like leaving the like the sorcerers and like leaving Kamertaj and saying there's too many sorcerers here. Like I'm going to go and like stop this. And he, the post credit scene in that movie was Mordo taking away the powers from the guy who was paralyzed that Dr. Strange found out. Um, he was paralyzed and used the magic to basically heal himself. Well, Mordo took that away, you know? So he's like, Oh, it's going to be this villain is leading into the second Dr. Strange. He's going to be the main bad guy. And the trailers kind of teased it. But then when you get into the movie, you're like, oh, he's not. He was actually the Sorcerer Supreme of his universe. He's not the bad guy. So I, was, I was bummed with that, to see that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Mordo, I feel like they haven't come up with like a good storyline to go with. And, and that was definitely, I think, just yeah, teasing us. And, and yeah. you know, misdirection. Oh, it's going to be Mordo. Oh, no, it's actually Scarlet Witch. It was it was the bait and switch, uh, as far as the you know yeah. advertising goes. But... I don't know. Hopefully we have a, a good Mordo of, you know, the 616 uh, universe, you know, finally come and do something interesting. 
I mean, they did tease the Dark Dimension again, so who knows? He could be back in the, <laughs> well, that's right. in the next one. We'll see. We'll see. And then finally, the ice cream song. We love ice, ice cream, cream. Yes, we, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I will say that that the him growing an evil eye in the middle of his head right at the end did kind of make me groan. <laughs> that was your groaning point? Good lord. I think that was my only groaning point, though. The rest of it, I just had the biggest smile on my face the whole time. Should we move on to ratings? Let's do it. I'll, I'll kick us off. Uh, so with Screams, I also gave this a two. There are some... Eh, actually, no, I'm, I'm going to bump it up to two and a half. There are some, some really great, like kind of creepy moments from Scarlet Witch, her just, like, popping up and snapping people's necks. It, it definitely got a lot more gruesome and dark than than uh, I, you know, even expected them to go with this, and uh, I appreciated it, though it just never really scared me. It was just, you know, oh, hey, that was, that was creepier than I thought. Way to go, Marvel. Yeah, I gave it a two as well. Similar reasons. It was grittier, I think, than a lot of typical Marvel, but nothing that made me scared yeah i i will be in a similar boat a little bit higher i put a three just because there are a couple moments that didn't make me jump but nothing that like terrified me or lingered okay and then as far as crayons go as as i've mentioned i unabashedly love this movie i give it a nine that's crazy to me nathaniel like you've been popping out nines like nuts lately well that's because we're talking about <laughs> movies like the batman and doctor strange man like this is like a top three marvel movie for me see i could not disagree more i think it's on the latter end of the marvel films i gave it a six i i think it's a fun film if you turn your brain off and watch it for a marvel film i think if you think about the plot you think about the characters and where they came from and where they are, it kind of dissolves into dust for me. I I would say my kind of a happy middle between the both of you, and I put mine into a 7.5. I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it wasn't my like top five, but I would say like uh, really close to that like top. I would say around the top 10 of the Marvel movies, which I guess aren't, aren't that many. They're about 30 almost. It's a so top third. I'd say. Yeah. That blows my mind a little bit, you two. Yeah, no, like straight up, it's like, I think for me, it probably goes original Avengers and then Thor Ragnarok and then this. I just feel like we watched different movies sometimes. I mean, that's, that's something that I love, though. I, I want to see that in the future, like more Marvel movies that like, not everybody just universally loves like no depending on Mark, the theme and we can't because we get into okay. fights about it <laughs> that's a little too much in uh, behind the curtain people don't need to <laughs> you're tearing us apart marvel you're tearing <laughs> us apart i love ice cream too <laughs> So, Max, how are you staying spooky these days? Um, I got one of the best birthday presents I've ever received of all time ever, and that is a tarot deck designed in the Over the Garden Wall theme. 
it is beautiful it's brilliant it's magical and it will go to me go with me when i die i kind of want to steal it from your house because i loved it so much from the pictures you sent me you have to open my cabinet of the occult to get to it and there are all sorts of demons inside yeah. there it is protected um but also i watched a very fun film the other day called vicious fun it's a shutter production it's about kind of this bimbo horror magazine writer going nowhere with his life who happens to stumble on a help group for serial killers mm. and it's it's kind of that tongue-in-cheek pop horror that it's just a lot of fun the plot is very silly but the gore is great and the characters are fun and silly and you just have a good time. Very nice. Well, Mark, what have you been uh, staying spooky with lately? You know, um, lately I've just, uh, I, I can't pinpoint it, but casually I'll like throw on a horror movie just to like relax and whatnot. But really the thing that sticks out to me how I've been staying spooky is recently, you know, Stranger Things 4 it's came out. so, so... good. You know, no spoilers, but it's it's really I I feel like it's the more horror-y of the the Stranger Things seasons. I feel like, so. <sighs> yeah, I'd need to watch it, but but it dropped yeah. the same time as as Obi Wan Kenobi and yeah, fair. you know, and Drag Race All Stars season seven. All winners. Well, there we go. I mean, I just don't know when I'm gonna get to Stranger Things. <laughs> No, now I'm caught up on Kenobi, so now I can, you know, throw on Stranger Things. We are not. So you don't tell us Kenobi spoilers. We won't tell you Stranger Things spoilers. Okay, fair enough. Well, I've been staying spooky lately, too. Um, I Part of it has just been dealing with my writing and stuff, um, as I referenced. Some agents are, you know, maybe interested in in the book I'm working on. So I just want to kind of, you know, try to finish the the draft i'm working on or you know, kind of polish up some early stuff uh because one of them asked for the whole thing one of them asked for just you know kind of the first few chapters so obviously polishing up the first few chapters a little bit and then uh frantically trying to write uh the rest of of the draft i'm working on um so you know get you know as as a horror creator that's that's been taking up a lot of my time but of course i'm always reading an insane number of books too and one i particularly enjoyed it was a true crime book that was absolutely horrific uh called death in the city of light uh this is a book about uh france's probably most prolific serial killer uh who was active during the nazi occupation of paris and um y'all this book is so upsetting and he did some uh let's just say if if you like to you know look at at true crime you know if if horror and true crime uh you know nicely uh overlap for you in terms of your interests this one is certainly one of the more horrific uh serial killers out there uh marcel petiot uh was a real evil dude and it's a really really compelling read so check that out all right well thank you for diving into the multiverse with us i had to get one more in yes the marvel verse of madness love it love it love it love it and uh stay spooky stay spooky stay spooky 
Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.